It is good to let whatever the multitude of anxious and busy thoughts are crowding into your mind it is so, or into your heart or into your week or into your life. It is so good to step back and to worship and to sort of lay those things before King Jesus. Let them all be swept away in his glory and grace. Thank you. Thank you guys for leading us, Stacy. So good. Stacy um, directs our whole worship crew here at Saltbox, so we're really grateful for you. And I love bringing out some older songs. Oh my goodness. I mean, they're just the timeless truth of Jesus. So good morning. Welcome all the way around. Good morning. There's some people in our sides this morning. I'm glad to see that. Let me look into the camera and say good morning to all of you who are joining us online. We're really, really grateful. Um, I don't think we have an online facilitator today, so you know, if you need to get in contact with us, say something on there and uh, we'll see if we can't follow up. Um, we are in the middle of Exodus, um, and we're in Exodus 21 today. We're actually going to read a shorter passage, um, a shorter and an unusual passage, actually. And we're, we're going to do uh, kind of what this whole series has sort of been about, because we're going to attempt to look at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And then we're going to attempt to look at the New Testament through the lens of the Old Testament. That's exactly right. And we're also going to, we said this a number of weeks ago in one of the messages, I don't remember which one, but I'm convinced that what, what uh, if you were in seminary, what they would call Hebrew parallelism, so, so God brings things kind of back around, that's one of the languages of heaven. And so that's what we're actually going to be looking at is a couple of those uh, things today. This is a very unusual passage. Um, so Exodus 21, before we start, Exodus 21 is uh, the book of the covenant. So this, uh, fascinatingly enough, these um, chapters, that 21 and forward, are, are, and really probably 20 and forward, um, but especially 21 and forward, would have been the first part of the Bible to be written down. So really, uh, Genesis and then the beginning part of Exodus were all a prequel so they were written um, after the fact about the time before. Yeah? Kind of interesting. Probably written uh, almost, yeah, they, they were written by Moses. Um, but so as we start here, you, you almost have to think this is the first part of the Bible that gets written down. So it becomes um, very important, and I hope, um, I hope we can get our arms around something here because I think it is really, really powerful if we can make this thing work. If we can ask the Lord Jesus, Lord, in fact, would you enliven our hearts today? Holy Spirit, would you come as we... Read your word. Father, would you convict? Would you heal? Would you change? Would you form? Would you fill? Oh, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay. Let's read. Verse, uh, Exodus 21, starting in verse 1, we're going to go through 11. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he comes with a, but if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to the master, and only the man shall go free. Can you imagine this is the first part of the Bible written down? Some of y'all are going, where is he going to go with this? That is a good question. But you just wait; it's coming. It is coming. Okay, uh, verse 5, but if the servant declares, I love my master, and I love my wife and children, and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges, a group of, at that point, would have been older guys, and uh, he shall take him to the door, or the door post, and pierce his ear with an awl. 
Anybody know what an awl is? It's a piece of, probably a piece of metal like this. And so you're... Just like that. And they would have held them down. All the judges would have been there. And then, bam! So not a little hole, mind you. What we might call today more like a gauge hole or something. I don't have any... I don't have pierced ears, but I guess that's what we're thinking about. He shall take uh, him to the door or the doorpost. So remember, he only takes him there if the person, if, if the, the servant declares, I don't want to go free. That's when he goes to the doorpost. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as male servants do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these things, she is to go free without any payment of money. Wow. Where are we going? <laughs> um, I love Jesus, and I love the Bible. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take uh, first a look um, at Israelite slavery. Okay, what does that even mean? Um, probably uh, indentured servitude might be a better word for it. We're going to take a look at Israelite slavery, what Jesus meant, what God meant. Remember, Jesus was alive before he was born, so he's involved in all, intimately involved in all of this. Then we're going to take a look at Jesus as the ultimate uh, slave. Then we're going to flip it, and we're going to take a look at our choice to become slaves. And then we're going to end sort of with a double meaning um, that I think is going to become really, really clear here as we, as we progress through. Okay, so let's talk just, just history, Israelite slavery for just a minute. In the in the days of um, Abraham Lincoln here in this country, and in the days of William Wilberforce in the UK. Anybody familiar with those two characters? Yeah. Okay. Well, there was groups of Christians um, that, that you know, were probably well-meaning, but they used some of these words, um, and they used some of the words of Paul to actually advocate and say that the God of the Bible was for slavery. And I think they're dead wrong. And here's why. Because what, what you begin to get set forth here is very different than what was happening slave trade-wise in America or, or in the United Kingdom. You could even call it the Caribbean sort of model, but, but it, is, it is absolutely nothing like that. Um, so, so I actually think what God is setting forth here is something um, is some, some guidelines where he's going to say, number one, um, I want to repress this. Uh, number two, I want to confine it within very li- uh, limited bounds. And number three, I ultimately want to put an end to it. So in other words, I think you have to look at this and go, okay, so God um, is, is acknowledging uh, that something is existing in their culture, and he is putting it within bounds. Um, he is attempting to limit it, and then ultimately he is going to um, absolutely get rid of it. So <clears throat> I, I think you would have to... Um, let me, let me read for you this uh, passage. This is Deuteronomy 23, verse 15. Here's what it says. If slaves should escape their masters and take refuge with you, you must not hand them over to their masters. Okay, so if Jeffrey's a slave, and Jeffrey escapes, and he comes and takes refuge with me, what am I not to do? 
Okay, so what is being set forth and said here is that if a slave is not being treated well, and I, we should probably call them servants, but I'm going to use servants, indentured servants, and slaves sort of interchangeably here, but you've got to upgrade your thinking from the way you think of slaves into the way a Hebrew thinks about a slave. So a slave in this day, if his master is treating him poorly, can simply leave. Get up on your feet, Jeffrey, and leave. And if Jeffrey comes and takes... Uh, you know, shelter in my home or with, with whoever is, is with me, um, I am not to give him back to that former master. Why? Because he was treating him poorly. So you get right from the beginning that God's sort of idea here is more like indentured servitude. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's totally unlike some of what we do um, in our day and age. So let me, let me just flip it, and then I'm gonna, we'll, we'll come back and we'll kind of bounce this around. Um, we have a delightful young man living with us by the name of David. And David is uh, actually just taking a position as an RA at UNCW. So he goes over to UNCW. You know what an RA is? Yeah? Okay. So you go to UNCW, and he works as an RA, and he gives them all this time, and he gives them all this energy, and he gives them all this work, and what does he get? He gets shelter. What else does he get? Food. Gosh, are they running an indentured servitude program at UNCW? We used to have a summer camp, and we'd have... This is my wife, Abby, that I'm pointing out over here. Um, we, uh, we would have, have 65 or 75 staff members, and a whole crew of, that member, uh, of those, those staff members would have been um, high schoolers who had very significant, um, they had titles, they had roles, they had responsibilities, but they were not paid. And they were sort of progressing through the ranks until they graduated from high school, moved into college students, and at that point they got... So, so what was the benefit? Well, they got to come and be a part of summer camp. They got to come be a part of what we were doing. They got to walk with us in this journey. They got to engage in a significant discipleship sort of journey with us. Um, but again, is that indentured servitude? Here's the point, is what God is uh, laying out here is not um, what we think of as slavery, because that is it's absolutely inhumane and wrong. He is, what, is, what is being laid out here um, is, is almost like, uh, there, there's a couple ways you can think about it. And isn't it interesting that it also says that on the seventh year, what happens? Go free! This isn't forever and ever, amen, right? On the seventh year, you go Free. So, okay, let's, let's go back in this day. So just put ourselves back, because I love to look at the Scripture both through a human perspective and then also look at it through a God perspective. So from a human perspective, in this day and age, uh, you and I go to the grocery store, and what do we pull out to pay? Usually a plastic card. And most of us, I don't know, well, I, maybe you don't. I, we, I'm collecting miles on my, you know, whatever delta we like to travel. And so, so, you know, we slide this little card, and at the end of the month, guess what we do? Pay the card off. So what happened in this day and age, and it happens all over America right now, but people live beyond their means. That's right. And so in this day and age, if people live beyond their means, all of a sudden they owe debts to this person over here and this person over here and this person over here, and they can't pay those debts. And so instead of hauling them out and having them declare bankruptcy like you would today, they just become an indentured servant of the person they owe the most money to. How long does that last? That's it. Not interesting? So there's a measure of even rough justice here. You know, I, I'm not, I'm just kind of explaining what 
what is being said here. Um, I think it's also interesting of a person who has stolen, which you could look at in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, but instead of uh, putting the, the people or the country in the expense of prison, um, he would have been fined and sent into this type of indentured servitude for how many years? Isn't that interesting? Again, just rough justice. I mean, it's, an, it's a... Um, at this point in human history, where they were, I think it's, it's really fascinating. Um, so <clears throat> I think you can't um, understand uh, this without fully grasping probably what I started with, which was if the slave is being, or the servant, uh, or the indentured servant is being mistreated, they can just leave. That's right. That's the, I think that's the key. Um, so I, I think then, then there's this clause in here um, to avoid oppressive masters. It's in verse 5. Hello. <laughs> uh, here, here's what it goes. Uh, 21, verse 5. Um, if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and my children, and I do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. So let's talk about something here just a second. Um, I think that there is a clause that God is acknowledging, and then Moses is writing down right here, that to avoid oppressive masters. So could there have been a case where an oppressive master took a servant and intimidated them? Orlando, you have to stay. You know, if you don't, I will. I mean, you know, threats that are going on behind closed doors. Is that possible? Yes. So the way that I think that is even built into this rough system of justice is that if a slave or if a servant, if a bond servant or a, a bond slave um, is going to pledge their life, if the, if the slave is going to pledge their life, in order to do that, they have to go before a group of people. And that group of people, those judges, want to actually look at this servant in the eye and go, is this really what you want? Are you being forced? Are you being cajoled? Is this an oppressive master? Is he abusing you? Is he hurting you? Is this truly what you want? And I think this is sort of the way that God was setting up um, for, for someone uh, to, to make sure that they weren't being hurt, abused, um, uh, unnecessarily or in an ugly way. And then there's an absolute, um, there's a ceremony that I think is intended to put a little bit of difficulty in becoming an indentured servant. Right? Anyone here want to step up here and let me punch your ear with an awl? Like, I mean, you hear what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I, you know, can I borrow your pen? I'm totally hassling you today. I love that you guys are back, by the way. My fr- our front row is just empty, and here you guys are back. Wow. Awl. That's big. If it would have been wood, uh, the, the awl would have actually sunken through the ear into the... We're going to come back to that. It's really important. Thank you. So I think there's, there's some pain, um, even in this ceremony that happens before a group of judges, to put a little bit of extra, are you really, really sure that you want to sell yourself into indentured servitude for the rest of your life? Now, if you're the master of an indentured servant, what are your responsibilities? Food, shelter, house, what? Respect? Yeah, absolutely. So you, you begin to see, um, and, and is there a place where someone can choose that I would rather be an indentured servant rather than the master of a house? Uh, apparently so. I guess that's your choice, and that's what's even being 
offered here. And you could go, well, if they would have run away, then they wouldn't have had any food, and how could they have started their own life? There's all these provisions in the Hebrew law. This is just one. I'll give you a quick example, just so you can understand the compassionate and full nature of this God. Because one of the things that he declared was when people go out and and clear their fields, so they harvest their wheat or their barley or whatever they're doing, um, they have to leave a certain amount on the ground. So let's just kind of play that out. So let's say you have a servant that has run away and he's taken shelter in somebody's house. Now, can that servant go out and eat? Yeah. Yeah. What's he do? Now, he's got to get up off his hindquarters and go out and collect all the wheat or the barley that's been left behind. But there's provision throughout the Hebrew and Mosaic law that God will take care um, of, of actually everyone in the whole society. It's really amazing. And in, in many ways, um, parts of the American system uh, were founded on Judeo-Christian values and principles. That's why a lot of us like to think that America is a Christian nation. I'd probably put up my finger and go... But it was founded on Judeo-Christian values and principles, which you're seeing some of here. Okay. Um, Okay, we did the painful ceremony. So, number one, um, let's open our mind well beyond um, uh, what I would say if you're in in the age of William Wilberforce in the UK or Lincoln here in the US. Those guys were standing against absolute human evil in terms of slavery. That was absolute, like, and that even Christians could use passages like this to support what they were doing is uh, it's actually a little flag that you ought to raise in your own journal and in your own life and in your own whatever, that if Christians use portions of the Bible um, to proof text, in other words, they've got an agenda, I want to do this, right? So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to find somebody in the Bible who did this and I'm going to use that to support what I want to do. That's a little warning. You don't want to have too much to do with that person. So when, when uh, even it's, it's heartbreaking to me that Christian groups would have used any of this to um, advocate for slavery in the way that it was being modeled in the 1800s in America. Yeah? Everybody following me? Okay. All right. So we've redefined what biblical slavery um, or biblical servitude is, and I'm going to say we're going to bring it all down, and we're going to say it's all about choice. Can Jeffrey leave if he wants to leave? Yes. Can he run away if I'm a bad master? Yes. So at the end of this, if you're going to become a Hebrew um, indentured servant, it's going to come down to choice. You're the one that chooses to put your ear on the doorpost. And the all punches it through. All right, now, let's flip. Um, Let's talk about uh, the New Testament and look back at the old through the lens of the new. Uh, if you want to just make some notes, um, I'm not going to flip to all of these, but uh, Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. Who, talking about Jesus, Paul wrote this, being in the very nature God. So who's in the nature God? Jesus. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant or a slave, depending on what translations you're reading. Say that with me, servant, who he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That's why Jesus was born in a stinky, animal-filled, probably uh, cave cut out in the wall in Bethlehem, and he wasn't born in a palace. He could have just as easily been born in the Taj Mahal, right? Mm -hmm. Or in Hawaii, or you know, you, you come up with it. 
Was that funny? Oh, it wasn't. Is that true? Does anybody know? I don't know. I thought it was. I'll have to look it up. Thank you. So he could have easily been born in the palaces of Egypt. Thank you. But he chose to be born in a stinky, animal-filled... Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, having a baby's a messy business. And to have it with a bunch of stinky animals and old hay and... Like, what? But that's what our Jesus did. He took on the nature of a servant. You've got to get this. Now, who's he serving? Who's he serving? I think Stacy's got it. Number one, he's serving his father. Number two, who's he serving? Say me. Say bride of Christ. Raise your hand. Me. That's who he's, that's who he's serving. Okay, so uh, Matthew, 20, verses, uh, Matthew 20, verse 28, here's what Jesus says. He called himself the Son of Man, which I love. There is nothing more um, lowly and human than Son of Man. That's why he called himself that. But you, you ought to also know that Christ um, really translates king. See, a lot of times you hear me say King Jesus, or you'll hear me say Christ Jesus. Well, those are kind of synonymous. That's why I say that. Christ Jesus, King Jesus, not just Jesus, uh, King Jesus, Christ Jesus. So, um, the Son of Man, uh, verses uh, 20, verse 28, uh, came not to be served, but to and give his life as a ransom for many. Come on. Okay, hang on. So we got the original bond servant. So in some ways, when God is setting up Exodus, we all get um, hung up because we're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they had slaves. This is horrible. The God of the Old Testament is a monster. No, no, no. The God of the Old Testament is actually setting something up by which he himself will step into human form in, the, in Christ Jesus in the form of a baby, and he will fulfill Exodus 21. Like it is absolute like, whoo! Come on, this is a God that is, he saw it from absolute eternity past. And he went, this is uh, the indentured servitude model. And not only am I going to set it up, I'm actually going to become it. Come on. This is Jesus who steps in to human form. Now, let's take it one step further. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Whew, okay, pierced for our transgressions. Pierced for our transgressions. Okay, so let's go there a second. Jesus on the cross. Where was he pierced? Yeah, either there or likely there, one or the other. I'd probably vote there, but I don't think it matters. I'm going to look at him one day, though. I'm going to be like Thomas. I can't wait. Um, Amelia and I were reading a little Bible story the other night, and um, we were actually reading about um, Thomas, and we were talking about Thomas. And I said, Amelia, I can't wait. Because one day we're going to finish the race, we're going to cross the finish line, and we're going to enter into heaven, and Jesus is going to be there with his arms open like this, just like he died. And he's going to welcome us in, and in that moment I'm going to say, Jesus, can I put my hands in the spot where you were pierced? Where else? And then one more spot, his feet, his hands, his side. The spear went in right there. No bones were broken, but he was pierced for our transgressions, Whose transgressions? So he became the slave. 
So he is the one. He is the one who leaves the master's house. He, he is king of all, lord of all, comes to a stinky stable, walks in a, I, I mean, I don't, he chose to go to the Middle East of all places, and he chose the Hebrew people of all people, and then not only that, he chose us as Gentiles of all people, he chose Michael of all people, he chose Connie of all people, and Josh of all people. This is the God from eternity past foresaw that he would leave the bounds of heaven, and he would step into the stinky human existence and he would become a slave. He would ultimately go to a cross. He would be pierced and punctured for our iniquities that we could go free and that we wouldn't any longer be slaves. Come on! So Jesus becomes the bondservant of heaven. Yeah? All right, let's flip it again. Before we can even talk about our identity and who we are under this or in this King Jesus, I think we have to acknowledge something, that we are by nature slaves to sin. Who, who, was, um, who were the original sinners? Adam and Eve, that's right. And uh, when they sinned, uh, God was so gracious. I love this. Because if they would have eaten of the tree of life after they sinned and ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what would have happened? This is so important. What would have happened? They would have lived forever in hell. Now, I'm defining hell as separation from a holy God, okay? So they would have lived forever. So God was so gracious because the moment they fell, the moment they disobeyed, the moment they chose to do it their way, not his way, he stepped in and he went, no, 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 no. You must leave now my garden. Because if you take and eat of this tree, the tree of life, you will live forever and you will live forever in your own hell. What a gracious and merciful and kind father. So every one of us humans who are born... We are born into and have a sin nature. Now, is that sin nature um, who we are? No, no, uh, but you have the capacity and you are born into it, yeah? Like, it's amazing to me because of all of our kids, um, I've never once had to teach any of them to say, mine. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how it happens. Like, it is like, there's just never a... <laughs> In fact, we were, we were just on a little mountain trip with some people, and they had kids, and we had kids, and it was like, mine, mine. I mean, it was, I mean, every single day, there was this big old mine festival, and a fuss, and one's hitting the other one, and they're bopping it, and it is like, but you don't have to teach your kids to say, mine. It's just innate. It's just there until they're delivered at the cross of Christ. Okay, so let's flip over and read Romans 6. I'm not going to read this whole passage, but it is so powerful to look at the old through the new here. I hope you'll take time, um, I don't know, in your, own, in your own journey. Romans 6, this is Paul writing. One day we'll tackle Romans, but what a book. What a book. Uh, I'm going to read, uh, start in verse 15, and I'm just going to read a couple verses between 15 and 23. But this is so, just such a powerful section. Here's what Paul says. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Verse 16, here it is. Don't you know that when you offered yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, don't you know that when you offered someone Offered yourselves to someone as obedient slaves. So every Hebrew person in the audience is thinking of what? 
Every Hebrew person is thinking back. Okay, so when you offered yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey. Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Okay? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to... Okay, this is so, uh, so key. Um, and we're, we're sort of making a transition here from we are slaves to sin to if we give our lives and surrender our lives. And the reason I even use that word surrender, um, I realize it's a little bit of a cumbersome word, but I don't like just believe in the Lord Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I don't know. I believe in Satan. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, I, I believe in gravity. I, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of things that I like believe in, but that doesn't mean I've like surrendered or, or like really given my life to. And I, and I think one of the things that um, Christian preachers notoriously do, both men and women, who want to just grow big churches, is they make this thing like more easy and more comfortable and more tangible and more happy than it is. And it's like, is God, as you come and surrender your life to him, going to fill your life with absolute joy and hope and peace? And is, are things going to be amazing in whatever path you're on? Y yes, but it's when you have laid it all down. It's, it's when you have made that choice to go. Okay. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. All right, let's, let's, just, let's, let's wrestle with this here for just a minute before we go to the last and kind of, kind of crux of this. Um, if you've got an anger problem, going along your daily life, your kid does something, your roommate does something, your spouse does something, what happens? Sometimes you feel like it owns you. How do you know you're a slave to something? It owns you. You don't own it. You hear me? Um, we, now, we could go through, we could take all sorts of time. Um, you, you can be a slave to wanting control of situations. You can be a slave to wanting to manipulate situations for your own good. Uh, you, you can be a slave to keeping up with like your neighbor's house and car. and You hear what I'm saying? I mean, there's all sorts of things that we as humans um, can become sort of enslaved to. You, you, you can become enslaved to pornography. You can become enslaved to alcohol. You can, I mean, we tend to think of things like that uh, sort of first. But I think what's far more even um, sadistic or dangerous is you can become enslaved to looking religious and good. That's why I always tell you stories about how I've failed. I'm no different than you. You are going to be a slave to something. I've got news for you. Might be a job, might be a career, might be a paycheck, might be a new purse or a new pair of shoes or a new car or a new boat. Or might even be doing good philanthropic work. You're going to be a slave and you're going to give your life to something or someone. And the question is, are you going to make it count and give that life to King Jesus?
So the choice to become servants or slaves to God in righteousness. We could even flip that and go the choice to have our ears opened. Hang right there. Let's finish this passage and we'll go back to Exodus. Uh, End of verse 21. Um, I'm in Romans 6. Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, back to Exodus 19. And on our way to Exodus 19, if you're making notes, write down Psalms 40, verse 6. Psalms 40, verse 6. I think this is fascinating. This is King David writing, and it's going to begin to tie all this together. Here's what King David writes. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. My ears you have opened. Uh, When you look at that um, Hebrew word opened, um, you you could actually, uh, it it could also be translated, um, my ears you have bore, um, my ears you have dug, uh, my ears you have hewn, or my ears you have pierced. So when Jesus is teaching in the New Testament and he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Every single person in that Hebrew audience would have immediately gone and they would have thought of King David and went, oh my goodness, my ears you have pierced or my ears you have opened. Jesus actually declares, um, I, think it's, I think it's six times in the Gospels and eight times in the book of Revelation, he, this, this simple word, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Wh- whoever, um, whoever's willing to have their ears pierced, whoever's willing to have their ears dug, whoever's willing to have their ears um, punctured, let them hear. So, so let's open this up now. There is this um, double meaning um, that I think begins to unfold here. So first of all, um, Jesus ultimately chose to be pierced, right? One, two, three, four times at least for our transgressions. Okay, so then there's this other thing though where we are called um, to be uh, pierced and become bond slaves with him. Now, go back to the doorway. We're at the doorway I've chosen to stay with this master. I've chosen to have my ear punctured. I've spoken to the judges. My master's not an evil master. I want to continue to live in his house under his care. I want to continue to serve him for the rest of my life. So they're going to take an awl, and let's pretend that this is a wooden doorpost, not concrete, and they come over and they punch my ear. What's left on the post right here? What? Okay, earlier in Exodus, what did we put on the doorpost? When Jesus preaches the gospel, and I can find it seven times, give or take, maybe eight, but he always preaches, take up your cross and follow me. So what he's beginning to say is, uh, I am going to be pierced for you. I am going to rescue you from being slaves to your sin, but you now have to go to the doorway and be also pierced with me. And when you then give your life or surrender your life, which is why I use that word, then then I will come up, take inhabitants within you, and lead you in the path everlasting. Is it going to be good? Yes. Yes. Is it going to be easy? Maybe not. Might he call you to live on the intercoastal waterway? Maybe. Might he call you to go be like Mother Teresa in India? Maybe. You you see what I'm saying? We make all these rules and we go, well, God's going to bless us and everything's going to be like the stock market up and to the right. No, it's not. It might be down into the left, but here's the deal. 
He is going to be with you in it. And if you are with him, and if you have chosen to be a bondservant, he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He will be there to meet you. You will have the joy of the Lord in the most difficult circumstances. That's what this gospel is about. That's what walking with him is about. It's surrendering one's life and going, Lord Jesus, come and take residence inside of me. You were pierced for me. I've been pierced with you. Now my life is yours. Now, let's get practical here for just a second. The other day, I'm out. Um, I'm, I'm still a landscaper. Some of you don't know that, maybe. I move dirt and plant bushes and stuff. Mow grass. Super glamorous work. Um, so I'm out. Somebody's bought a... Uh, thanks for the laugh. Somebody's bought a uh, piece of property. They want me to go look at it. So I'm out looking at it. Beautiful farm way out from the city. Um, they had some stuff they wanted done. I'm in a hurry. Um, I'm a little bit grumpy. Um, can you imagine me being grumpy? Abby can, just ask her. <laughs> You're not perfect. Nope. Wrong church if you want a perfect guy. I'm driving uh, through this piece of property, and um, this, he, went in, he, he was an older than me gentleman, but he was angry. He comes up to me. He's packing a little bit in his back pocket, I can see. And uh, what are you doing here? And I'm, I don't want to talk to this guy. I'm like... I mean, I'm just put off. I'm impatient. And I find that little part of the Lord's Prayer that says, not my will, but your will. It rises up in me all the time. And I'm telling you this because I suspect if you're normal, it rises up in you too. So what do you do when you no longer feel like being a... Here's what I did. I paused a moment and I went, Lord, I don't want to be here. I'm not sure that I like this guy. <laughs> I really did. Just total honest. But you've put me here. I'm late to my next thing. Late getting home for Abby and the kids. What do you want to do? And what did I do in that moment? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know who said that, but no. But, but I, I surrendered my time. I acknowledge that I'm not the Lord of my own life. I am not the captain of my own ship. I am a... And I began to look at this guy, and I began to ask some questions, and it turned out that this land had been bought five or six times, and it was his great-great-grandfather's land, and he'd spent his entire life serving land and building on land and whatever on land that was no longer his. And as I began to ask this guy questions... Got some heat in his back pocket. Got some chaw on his lip. We're talking. All of a sudden, this guy starts tearing up. And the only type of church and uh, Christianity he had ever been exposed to is the religious type, where you stop drinking and chewing and smoking and hanging out with the people who do, and you go to church, and they beat you over the head, and you go, get your act together. And I just began to talk to him. I said, man... Yeah, I love Jesus. I told him why I was there. And all of a sudden, we're having this conversation. He's spilling his guts to me. And he knows, he knows God. He said, yeah, I know God. And I got to pray for him right there. He's crying. We're both sweating bullets because it was still hot a couple, couple weeks ago. And we're, we're just standing there. And he's all of a sudden, tears are streaming down his face. And he goes, I know God loves me. 
I've just gotten lost in the bottle. I've gotten lost in the journey. I've gotten lost in my own frustration. And we just had a little come to Jesus meeting right there sitting on the farm. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. I don't, I, I love y'all. I don't really, I don't, I don't, but here's what I do want. Here's what I do want. Listen, listen. Now flip it and flip it hard. If in your own daily life you are the master of your own ship, the master of your own time, if it's your money, your car, your kids, your house, your thing, your hobby, your agenda, your deal, it's the American dream, you may be missing the very power and presence of God because of your unwillingness to surrender your own heart and go, I am first a bondservant. It is your time. It is your house. This is your car. This is your church. These are your people. This is yours, God. Now, what do you want me to do? Now, let me add a little caveat. Does that mean that every single... We have a delightful homeless ministry here in our church, uh, and I'm on the board of Vigilant Hope here in town. I love homeless ministry. But does that mean you have to stop for every single homeless person and feed them? No. No. Does that mean you have to stop for every farmer that's angry at you and share Jesus with him? What does that mean? What am I saying? Your will, Lord. What do you want me to do? I am not actually an advocate of raising a group of people who are boundaryless doormats and all we do is go help every single person and we're always putting ourselves out, possibly neglecting our own families and our own kids. No, no, no. But I am saying if we as a people cannot take the theological truth that Jesus was pierced for us, we are pierced with him. And in any given moment or circumstance, if we can't go, Lord, this is your business. What do you want me to do with it? Lord, this is your car and your house and your money. What do you want me to do with it? Lord Jesus, this person that I'm standing at the checkout line who has just been disrespectful and ugly to me, they're actually your child. What do you want me to do with them? This person who cut me off in traffic that I'm angry about, what do you want me to... See, just that pause. And here is this, it's this powerful like breath prayer, if you can get this rhythm even in your daily life, where when you feel yourself rise up, you know what I'm talking about? That bow up thing that begins to happen, you're like, don't you say that to me. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? You're lying to me if you don't. Yours might be passive-aggressive, but I guarantee that thing stands up once in a while, and it's like, don't. When that thing rises up, the question is, can you go, Lord Jesus, my life is yours. How do you want me to interact here? And the power of a risen Christ Jesus is suddenly infused in you because not only has he been pierced for you, you've been pierced with him. You're now taking up your cross and you're bringing a bit of heaven into your earthly reality in that relationship. That's the power of the gospel of Christ Jesus in daily action. That means you can go, I have an anger problem. When that anger rises up, I am no longer a slave to my anger. I am no longer a slave to my greed, or my lust, or my whatever, you fill in the blank, because I have been bought by a price of the person of Jesus Christ. How do you live on planet earth and be fully on planet earth, feet on the ground, not a head in the sky Christian, but also engaging with people in a real way and bringing the presence of power of Jesus in and through your life into the people you're interacting with? This is it. It's a day by day. It's a moment by moment. It's a Lord, your will, not my will. Lord, you were pierced for me. I'm pierced with you. Now, how do you want me to interact in this situation? And are you going to walk by some people? Yes. Might the Lord said, move on from the farmer? That's in my theology. Jesus walked by a lot of people. What? What are you preaching? Jesus didn't heal everybody. 
Jesus required the rich young ruler to go and sell everything, and he walked away dejected. Jesus let him walk away. That doesn't sound like American megachurch. It doesn't mean you become a doormat. It doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean you need to be unhealthy and run yourself ragged and destroy your marriage or your relationships or whatever. No, no, no. But it does mean you go, Lord Jesus, what's your will and way in this situation? And sometimes he doesn't speak. What do you do then? Wait. Wait, okay. At that point, here's what I'm going to just keep getting practical with y'all today. At that point, here's what I'm going to do. I've laid down my heart. I've gone, Lord, this guy I'm talking to is, you created him. You know his story. I don't. I'm going to trust that Jesus in me can author my desires. Now, I'm not talking about once. There's a whole sermon we could get into here, once and desires. I want a Ferrari. So what? You hear me? But at that point, God began to change my desire sitting in my truck talking to this guy. And all of a sudden, my desire was to stay and share and to ask him a few questions. I followed my desire. And I went, Lord, I think this is you. Could it have not been Jesus? Yeah. Is it worth the risk? Every day. All day. Come on. Because I don't really care about my own way. I want to be in his way. I want to be in his steps. I want to be in his purpose. I want to be a bondservant in his house. I don't want it to be my house and my car and my thing and my church. I'm just a steward. I'm just passing through and so are you. And guess what? We're all going to be gone in a few years. So the question is, for this little bit of time that we have that we get to hold in our hands, are we actually going to take our hearts and surrender them before King Jesus and go, Lord, this is your interaction. Am I going to lose my temper with my kids again? Am I going to be impatient with somebody over here again? Am I going to be ugly at work again? Or am I going to call a time out and go, Lord, I am no longer a slave to that thing. Would you set me free? Now, there's some also very practical ways that you walk that out. There's some relationships and small group and accountability. and all, There's a number of things around that. But you begin to get a hold of this truth that you are not a slave to whatever sin you crave anymore. You hear me? You are a slave to him. And he sets us free. My daily declarations start with this. I have given up my own way. I have taken up my cross, and I follow Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ, and Jesus lives in me and through me. That's how I start. Because I've got to remind myself that that old guy, Michael, guess what? He's gone. Isn't that good news? If you're perfect, that might not be good news for you good news for me. Jesus was pierced for your transgressions. The question is, will you allow yourself to be pierced with him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, here we are. Father, we're in a broken, uh, messy journey of life, and I'm so glad you don't abandon us in it. Lord, I'm so glad that if we'll call these little spiritual timeouts, that you will meet us in life, that you'll direct us, that you'll fill us, that you'll guide us, that you'll even change us. Holy Spirit, we'd invite you into the room right now to minister to hearts, to change minds, to set us free. Lord, there's some people in the room that are slaves to certain ways of thinking. I'm no good. I'm not worth it. We're slaves to certain ways of acting. 
or slaves to relating a certain way in their relationships. And Father, on this day, would you break some of those things under the power of the blood of Christ Jesus and the resurrection power of you. Father, would you wash through this room to restore relationships, to heal marriages, to change lives, to bring people to Jesus that don't know you, and to bring Christians that have gotten lost in the fray of religion and church back to you. Father, we want to know you. We want to walk with you. We're going to celebrate communion here in a few minutes. And if you're at home, I want to invite you to pause it for a minute and grab some bread and some juice. I'll pray over it and bless it just as we pray over ours. I'd love for you to join us even if you're at home. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting with these 12 ragamuffin guys who he called his disciples. And at some point in the meal, he took a loaf of bread and he actually broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my body pierced for you. Every time you do this, take and eat, remembering and appropriating my life, my death, and my resurrection into your life. The idea is not that you remember where you failed. The idea is that you remember what he's done. That's so good. And then he took juice. I don't have, he really would have had wine. We have juice today. We have these little COVID-safe cups. But Jesus would have taken wine and he poured it out. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Every time you take of it, take it in remembrance of me. I'm actually convinced that as Jesus said he was the bread of life, that he meant not just when we take communion and celebrate the Lord's Supper, but every time you take and eat anything and, and break bread or eat in any way, shape, or form with your family or friends or neighbors, that in that moment you would be remembering that Jesus is the bread of life, that Jesus was pierced for you, that you're called to be pierced with him, and that as you lay down your life and surrender it to him, the very king of the universe will come and live his life in you and through you. Every time we eat, as you eat today, in fact, does anybody need another little cup? Josh, would you be available to see if anybody else does? Oh, Mike has some over here. I've also got a, there's a couple gluten-free options there if you need it. The little cracker in here is not gluten-free. Father, for the people at home and for the people here, Lord, would you take these common elements and would you remind us that you are the bread of life, that you are the door, that you are the good shepherd, that you are the one who's been pierced for our iniquity, that you are the bond slave of heaven, and that you've called us to become bond slaves with you. And then in that, you infuse us with all joy and all peace and all hope, no matter what the circumstances of our life. As we pray today to the God who stands outside of time, at the beginning of time, at the end of time, and at every moment in between, Lord, we drink and we eat, remembering what you've done, remembering the price you've paid, and remembering the death you died, remembering the resurrection that you lived. 
Spirit, infuse us with your person and your power today as we eat and drink. In the name of Jesus, eat and drink, remembering what he's done. your eyes. If you're willing, maybe you'd even open a hand. If you can't open your hand for whatever reason, maybe you'd open your heart. Father, we'd like to be a church of people that journeys with you, you and us, us and you, alongside one another allowing the presence, power, and purpose of you, Holy Spirit, to infuse us and fill us every day, at every turn. Lord, would you allow us to be more progressively and intimately acquainted with your person, with your love, with your grace. And Father, would you allow us to be a people who become rivers of living water to every person we interact with. If you're in the room and you've never given your heart to King Jesus, if you've never said, Lord, would you come into my life and live? Would you forgive me? Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. Would you stick up your hand? Anyone who needs to surrender their heart to him this morning? If you're online, if you're listening, and you've never given your heart to King Jesus, would you make a, make a note in the comment section and one of us will reach out to you? Father, as we close this morning, Lord, I believe you've be called us to be a church for the unchurched. But I also believe you've called us to be a church that reaches Christians with the message of the gospel that's somehow gotten lost. Father, would you fill us and would you send us? In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. There'll be a few of us up front if you need special prayer. If you're in here and you want to give your heart to the Lord Jesus, or if you're online, we'd love for you to get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you. This God is real. And if you're in Him, He's in you. Let's go be salt and light to the world.